lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. So the last episode went a little longer than we thought as we were talking, and uh, we decided that we're going to just split the episode into two parts. I keep saying that people can just pause the episode, but two is better. Yeah, two helps. Yeah. So uh, we're going to pick up the conversation right where we left off from the last episode, so enjoy. Um, I'm going to read these two verses, Okay. which is Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the idols with their wicked worshipers. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. That's your good reading for a Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) But that also leads into the question. That does lead into the question. What is the connection between Zephaniah verse 1, 2, or chapter 1? two and three, and the flood narrative in chapter in Genesis chapter six. The bigger is the bigger connection between Zephaniah with Genesis one through 11. I'm confused on where to start from, on what part of this conversation are we picking up from? I just read verses. Yeah. So then what comes next? So what comes next is chapter one. And chapter one begins with the description that is the reversal of creation. So when he's talking about I'll sweep away everything from the face of the earth, uh, I'll sweep away both man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds of the air, the sky, and the fish of the sea. Uh, that is the reversal of creation, where creation was the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, and then humans being last. Mm. Um, and then everything from upon the surface of the earth is the uh, reinforcement or the reference it's a, uh, that associates with the story of creation, um, the expulsion from Eden, and then the flood. So the prophet is portraying uh, this judgment as it would occur on a worldwide scale. It's like uh, reversing his work of creation. And a lot of that is what the flood was. Right, right. So that to me, that's what I saw there. That was the first thing I saw was this connection between what did the flood do? It destroyed everything. It was a sweeping thing. This was very similar to that. And when you look at, well, why the flood? Well, you can look at all of the angelic interactions going on. Also in Genesis, it talks about, you know, they were just the wickedness of man and everybody was going around doing what looked right to them in their own heart. So here, if you're getting this again, again, when you look at when something draws your attention back to something, you look at, well, what was happening then? Mm -hmm. And then why would it reference that? So then you get into Zephaniah, it's like, oh, people are doing that again. Yeah. Everybody's just walking around doing what seems right in their own eyes. Again, it's just, it paints the picture back to it. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, Chapter two of Zephaniah plays on the view of the world in Genesis 11. Uh, So the prophecy against the nations, against uh, the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria, is uh, structured on the uh, the geography of the table of nations. Mm -hmm. So all of these are listed within that table of nations in Genesis 11, um, and equates the nations with the sons of Ham. So that's Genesis 10. I think it's 6 through 20, where mm-hmm. we get... Let me, I actually think I have that open. Let me pull that up. Yeah, so you have the sons of Ham, and it has them listed, and you'll see in there, there's Cush, there's Canaan, uh, the Philistines are mentioned, Assyria is mentioned, 
in there. So it's pulling it back to that with the descendants of Shem, the Israelites, ultimately being the victors who triumphed over them. So I thought that was a cool parallel. Um, and then you even see in Genesis 9, 24 through 27, so this is the, they're out of the ark. They're uh, now living their life. And this is a story where Ham sees Noah's nakedness. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we've talked about it before, what that could mean and what it probably really did mean, other than like he didn't walk into his dad seeing him naked and drunk. It had a little bit more meaning to it. Yeah. Are you going to leave it there? Because <laughs> sometimes we keep the show PG and sometimes we don't. Uncovering your father's nakedness often had to do with perhaps usurping his position of being the head and the one in charge by showing your dominance by taking his woman. There we go. Yes. You think of it... Which would explain why it wasn't Ham that got cursed, but the child. Right. That's where you get into where Mo, or Noah says, curse be Canaan. Yep. As uh, the lowest of slaves, he will be to his brothers. And he said, praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be a slave to Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be a slave to Japheth. So, again, the curse wasn't to Shem. It was to his descendants. It wasn't to Ham. Yeah, to Ham. Obviously not Shem. He was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to point out as we go through this uh, nation's uh, thing is Moab and Ammon, uh, because they aren't actually Canaanites or part of this list of Ham. They're the descendants of Lot. Mm-hmm. And we've covered that. This is Lot's kids. And again, one of those stories in the Bible that just kind of like, this is a very interesting story. But after they fled Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the mom, Lot's wife, turned around and she became a pillar of salt. Uh, but Lot and his daughters went and hid out in a cave. Lot's daughter said, we're not going to have kids if we're out here in the cave. Let's get dad drunk. Have kids. <laughs> and have kids. The children's name were Moab and Ben-Ami, um, which is then the Moabites and the Ammonites. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting, and then I'll let you go, was the curse to them in Zephaniah. It says, I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people. Wait, real quick. Where are you reading that from? Uh, 2, 8 through 11. Okay. Just so that myself and others can follow along. Uh, My people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as they live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weed and salt pits, a wasteland forever. And that's where I was like, Oh, dang. Again, Zephaniah, knowing scripture, throwing it back to the, the creation of the, these two nations, that uh, their destruction, them fleeing, is what set in motion the birth of these two nations, the Ammonites and the, the Moabites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the point that I was going to make was just what this level of Bible study does. And I think that really what got me thinking more and more about it is when we had Brittany on the show. Mm-hmm. And when you just look at things that are happening on the national scale, going back to literally just people's children and the nations that come from them, and what we have in the Old Testament is it's really well documented. Mm-hmm. Like, like usually, oh, the, the daughters had these two kids. It's like, and that became the, the Ammonites and the Moabites. And then those are players throughout the whole Old Testament, yeah. right? And just how that comes in. And 
without saying too much about it, there's a lot that happens that gets resolved in the Old Testament, like that episode with Brittany. So people can go back and listen to that in our villain series. Um, but also Jesus goes and re- does a lot of reversals in a lot of those ways that throughout Jesus' ministry, he's like seeing those things that went wrong and reversing yeah. them and making things right. Just kind of how you said, like, oh, here's creation. And then this curse is like reversing that. Jesus comes in and reverses a lot of the curses. Yeah. Which is really cool. It really is. Chapter three is super cool uh, because it contains a hit, a hint of a reference to Genesis 11 also uh, when it says, then I will purify the lips of the people and an emphasis on the correction of speech in verse 13. So that's Zephaniah 3, 9 is the lips purifying mm-hmm. and the uniting of all people. So it's as if the story of Babel is now being reversed. So in his prophecy that all people will be reunited in the worship of God. And what I even thought was even cooler, and I read this in a commentary, was the day of Pentecost could be viewed as the fulfillment of Zephaniah's promise, that the purifying of speech, that the people, uh, that they might have become true worshipers of God. And even in there, and you were the first person to ever show this to me, is that the people listening and like the tribes are like, oh, I, I could hear this in my tongue and that can all It was be... the table of nations yeah. that happened at Pentecost, yeah. Yeah, so it's just cool, these dots that are getting connected all across everywhere. Well, you asked the question, you gave me part of the question, yeah. and then you answered your own question because <laughs> I didn't come with that. That stuff was really yeah. cool, though. Yeah, I, you know, I really like those, the, those data points that you brought up. That, that was really cool. I, I was going through it, and then I read a, one of the commentaries that... Um, it's the one that you sent about N-I-C-T-O-T. Oh, the NICOT? Yeah. yeah. It was that one. So I looked in that one for Zephaniah, and there it was right in the front. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I, I really thought that that was a cool connection uh, to it all. Question four? Yeah. Which I guess just with the N-I-C-O-T and the N-I-C-N-T for the New Testament, there's a reason why those commentaries are so highly regarded. Yeah. Because they have cool things like that in them. They really do. Yeah. Uh, question four, Moloch? Did you change that one too? No, I think that was just it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just it. <laughs> uh, the, the next question is you should know. Yeah, Moloch. Why don't you get us started on that one with Moloch? <laughs> so Moloch is a deity that uh, children's were sacrificed to and likely Canaanite origin. That was going to be the thing that I was going to say. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, there's like a lot to this Moloch guy. Like I want to really get it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. That's what it is. Likely simplify it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, there is a lot to him, though. Um, the, the worship of Moloch was present under uh, King Solomon, and then it ended with Josiah, so that's good, but it was there for him. Uh, the sacrifice to Moloch usually involving children's sacrifices, especially the firstborn male, and that's prohibited in Leviticus. In Israel, child sacrifices were, was most prominent in, uh, during Manasseh's reign. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, when he got this, child sacrifice came. It wasn't just like, oh, look at those Israelites. They're sacrificing children. It was like, no, that's the Moloch worship happening. Uh, it says that him and then King uh, Ahaz are said to have made their own sons pass through the fire. Uh, one of the cool things I saw that Moloch, the root meaning is to rule or to be king. And then I saw this, and this was kind of interesting too, that the vocalization of his name in Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible may be derogatory as its pronunciation mirrors the Hebrew word for shame. One of the commentators proposed that the Hebrew Bible Molech was a cultic term for children's sacrifice and not so much a deity, but Leviticus 25, it says uh, it accuses Israel of playing the harlot with Molech. So I'll let you listeners figure that one out. 
Uh, the other thing I had, and I thought this was cool too, that um, I got this straight from a commentary, so I'm going to read it. A deity with the name, the sun, same root can be found in Ugarit and Ebla. And so it's Arcadian literature. Literature, uh, The deity Molk, it's just M-L-K, is associated with the underworld. So Molek was most likely a deity of the underworld. Um, there are texts that have found that the bringing receives offerings through that way. Um, what I found interesting in looking up Molech was just this, uh, the twisting of what could have happened with Scripture by the Israelites themselves as they were reading it. So in Exodus, it says, uh, the firstborn of your son uh, you will give to me. So God is saying the firstborn of your son mm-hmm. you'll give to me. And just the the idea they're like, oh, well, the other gods are we're sacrificing our sons to them. So maybe that's what God's requiring as well. But then you have Jeremiah who counters the whole idea, and same thing with Leviticus who says that, no, you're not supposed to be doing this. God never commanded it. Yeah, and you have that, and that's actually a really weak argument that goes around the internet with different stuff using, you know, that scripture and like, see, the the early Yahweh cult, you know, mm-hmm. some, some of the ways it's called, it was just like the other ones here you have, like, no, read a little more. <laughs> like, it is not saying that. But then that's where other tie-ins coming when you're looking at reading it that way. And whether they were reading it that way or contemporary people on the internet read it that way is when you look at the sacrifice of Isaac. And because so many of other nations that that was a practice that was mm-hmm. happening, people would do that. And that when you have Abram going to do that, that that was just like, oh, here's the thing that will be pleasing to God. But then God stays his hand and provides the ram. Yeah. So it's an interesting study to get into that. I don't think that there's that strong of a tie-in yeah um the bible very often will take what these other cultures are doing and then correct it Mm -hmm. so i don't think i think it moves more in that direction and and to me that we look at that and it's like this could be seen as sacrifice but what god is really saying is that they will be dedicated Mm -hmm. so like you're saying that reversal of what they're doing where um you're like you're basically sacrificing killing them for this God, well, this God, our God is saying, you're not doing that. You're dedicating him to me for my service. Yeah, and again, you've got God as the giver of life. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Moloch. Man, some of these, I don't even know what to call them. Sacrificial statues, really. They'd have them and they'd have, it would have a statue with its arms out, with the coals. And people just stick their child, their baby, mm. on that. And just it would be consumed by fire and just... That's not what our God is like. Yeah, and it <laughs> like, does... He definitely wants to consume us, not like that. And the reason why we brought this question up, because it's in there in the book where it's like, hey, you worship Baal and you worship Molech. And we've covered Baal before, probably not in detail, but we've covered him. good old storm God. Yeah, um, but bringing it up is drawing the differences between what God is and what they are. And uh, before I got into this, I didn't know that Molech was probably an underworld deity that he was probably associated with death and what you said right now really triggered everything in my brain that god is the bringer of life not death and the reversal of what god is doing compared to these other gods is that he is bringing life not death and these other ones are just bringing death and you think by giving death to this other god that you're pleasing it but really it's just requiring more Mm -hmm. as where god is the moment you just offer yourself to him he's like that's all i wanted that's enough so it's just such a big difference. And again, this is why I want to just bring him up briefly was to show comparison between that. Because a lot of times 
I grew up in the church thinking that like, oh, when they talked about false idols, it was just like the statue and it was like not a real thing. But when you start getting into it, these, these deities, these things were legitimized. They were real things out there that wanted people to worship them. And God was coming in and saying, I'm going to show you that I am God over all things, and I'm going to conquer and defeat them, which does get us into the day of the Lord stuff eventually when we get there. But that, yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, how you said that with these other deities that you would do that because you're wanting to please them. And mm-hmm. there was kind of an exchange thing going on that like, now I'm going to do this for you and you do this for me. Maybe I'm just trying to appease you, just kind of like with a lot of the fertility stuff or a lot of the, hey, yeah, we need our crops to grow. So we're doing all these things and hopefully you'll find favor on this thing, mm-hmm. right? Whereas God makes promises. <laughs> and like even going back to the curses and the promises, right? There's like and the blessings, mm-hmm. like, it's a for sure thing there, and it's a good thing that's going on there. But the reality of those things about making those exchanges with dark forces in the world, to bring that forward to today, because in America, we don't tend to think of these other gods as real, especially these ancient-sounding ones like this. So it's like so foreign. But I think that what's more and more prevalent today in our culture is witchcraft and dealing with the occult, to where you're tapping into the spiritual realm and doing things that come at a cost yeah and that cost i think you were telling me it was probably like six months ago now that you were out walking bear and you came across that cat oh yeah yeah that cat that had like the incision on its side Mm -hmm. and had everything removed from it and you look at some of the practices that go on and like witchcraft practices and different things and whether it's the life of an animal whether you're involving blood in certain whether you're involving other things that can happen and just that medium of exchange that just like this with Moloch to where it's like, no, you give me your child. And then, you know, there'll be that. People are still doing that today. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't look at, oh, well, Moloch, what's a Moloch? That's stupid. Like, yeah. what kind of dumb ancient book? It's like, go hop on the internet and see what people in, for us, California or in your state, all these witches and people that are doing stuff. Is it some male? I would say witches, but like, what's the guy version? I want to call him wizard. Warlock? Maybe a warlock? I think it's a warlock. Why is that so uncommon today? We always talk about witches. I don't know. All right, witches and warlocks. Yeah. All the stuff that they're doing, like, it is super prevalent. Or Highlander. And if you... <laughs> <laughs> I almost thought that was going to go by you. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I laughed to be less uncomfortable. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. But that's for the audience. And you have to pagan like you with your <laughs> warlocking. Um... But just to see how prevalent it is. Mm -hmm. And then even if you hop on YouTube, there is a lot of testimony of people who have come out of that life who will testify to the reality of it. And even a lot of those people testifying to, no, you're tapping into some of these beings who are known by a name. Mm -hmm. And look, you can look at it and just say, I don't believe in any of that stuff. That's all stupid. They're just getting it for views and for whatever. It's like for a lot of them, the stories correlate way too strongly, not with not just with each other but with what we find in in the bible yeah that was a really big segue off but just when we're talking about sacrificing your children and stuff it's like there's a lot of stuff i mean if you're trying to tell me that what went on with jeffrey epstein and all that was just purely an act of lust and there wasn't anything more dark and insidious going on with him and everyone else involved i'm not believing you right (laughs) like that's just what it is and i don't know how we got on epstein but what's the next question First of all, Highlander is a movie where there could only be one Highlander and it's battles between warlocks. Okay. What's the other one? 
That's not Highlander. Something Lander? I just know Highlander. There's like five of them or something like that. No, is there something? Is it like the boys? There's something with a lander. Oh, Homelander. Homelander. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you were talking about. No, no. I haven't seen that either. No, no. I've that's seen nothing. Bad. Yeah. Um, that's why I said pagans because yeah. I, I thought you were talking about that <laughs> no, thing. I, like, I know bad. very little about that. <laughs> and I know that. Highlander is a warlock. Okay. Uh, oh, gosh. You said something. I want to go back to it before we jump to the next question. Uh, what was it? Is this how well we listen to each other? We just talk a lot and there's, there's too much space <laughs> until the next one can say something. Uh, the practices of it and mm-hmm. the idea that we as people today want to say it's not real, it doesn't exist. There's twofold to it. You can know that this exists, but if you're a child of God's, you can know you're protected by it mm-hmm. um, and you're protected by him and you don't have to worry about it, right? You don't have to be afraid of what's the scary thing that bumps in the night because he is there for you. But if you don't know God and you're practicing in it, you are offering yourself up to so much of what can come into your life and cause wreckage and damage and, and so many other things. Uh, when you look at the demon-possessed man in the New Testament, he was just a strong person in, out in, in the graveyard, right? And they mm-hmm. would chain him and he would break free. Um, or the, the demon-possessed girl who, was it Peter or was it Paul? Who I think it was Paul. Uh, who yeah, I think so. took the demon out, but she was prophesying. Like it gave her abilities and gifts, and the people were making profit off of her from it. Um, it's in the Bible. It's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament. So, as much as we don't maybe say uh, Molech, and in the New Testament, it's demons and all these other things, it's still there, which tells me it's still here today. But as a child of God, if you really have a relationship with Him, it's also something you don't have to be afraid of. That's what I want to get into. All right, question five. How does Zephaniah present the day of the Lord? I just had a question on how you presented that. How does Zephaniah present the day of the Lord? We've talked a lot already mm-hmm. this episode about the day of the Lord and different things. We've talked in the past about like judgment stuff. And normally I'm pretty good at either understanding your questions or just preparing enough to be like, oh, yeah, let me just run with it. <laughs> what did you mean? How did how does he present it what i find interesting when as we've been going through it is almost everyone presents it differently or somewhat similar but different um so there's like two different ideas with it and with me what i when i saw with zephaniah is that he does present the day of the lord as something that's both near and far which a lot of them do Mm -hmm. uh but he uh the day of the lord for with him is that that last chapter he gives more of the hope than i've seen in all the other ones more of the like the bringing back together. So there's a judgment and there's salvation. Uh, it's a negative and a positive to Judah. It's containing both elements of doom and hope. Uh, the, the entire book, in a sense, is a prophecy of the day of the Lord, like we've been saying. Uh, so for Zephaniah, he prophesied that the purging of fire of God's judgment would produce righteous remnant from among the nation of Israel. And then we've talked about the purifying of the speeches and of the nations, so the reversing of the curse of Babel. Uh, Zephaniah promised a future of restoration of Israel that conformed to uh, more of the like eschatological era of blessing, and that God would remove sinners from Israel while purifying a holy remnant. And this is all Zephaniah, that's 3.13, 3.14. And then uh, the concept of the day of the Lord, it's a day of decisive, comprehensive punishment. And this is, again, New Testament language. A lot of the New Testament writers have that. And where you look at it, there's a glimmer of hope for the humble and the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I read somewhere that it, it, it kind of, this was fanned into flames by Christ with the Beatitudes, the poor and the meek, and that the echoes of Zephaniah may be detected in Matthew 13, 14, uh, Revelations 6, 7, possibly Romans 15, 6, Revelations 14, 5, and Revelations 16, 1. Um, so that was kind of the way I saw it, that it was just, it seemed a little bit more different than some of the stuff we've covered already. Like he did present more of the hope at the end. And I feel like a lot of it has had hope with a lot of the, the prophets and stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's hope there because I just feel like that's always a thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, finally we can get to that part. But I see what you're saying about the kind of the already, but not yet. Like it's coming, but it's also distant type thing. Um, and even how you're tying it in with Jesus. So just the thing of looking at the hope. And we talked about this whatever episode we talked about it but it's really shaping day of the lord for me is that the day of the lord when judgment comes it's to set things right yeah and a lot of times when you look at the day of the lord so if you were to look at zephaniah one and two right and just look at ah judgment is coming god's wrath is coming to look at that as being the day of the lord but it's like no really what the day of the lord is it it is the hope right it's Mm -hmm. about that redemption and to be able to bring it to the point of hey, look at the purified people now who there is no more sin and they're not in their pride about doing anything. And like, that's what's happening. And they're singing out to God and having that. And that that's really where the day of the Lord is both of them together. But I think that we need to look at really primary is like, but what's the purpose for it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You look at, you do something because of the outcome. So when you're looking at like, well, what is God doing with the day of the Lord? It is this restoration. Mm-hmm. It is this thing so that Israel's king, their Lord, can be with them. Again, going back to when you're talking about reversing curses, that's what that garden was in the very beginning, right? God walked with Adam and Eve. So when you look at this ultimate day of the Lord of that being, and that's what we get through Jesus. And really, as you were bringing in Jesus, just realizing that like he is Israel's king. And a lot of the things that it talks about in Zephaniah 3, like, man, I can see Jesus as the fulfillment of those things, both, again, doing that thing that's near and far, Mm because I see that he did those things while he was on the earth 2,000 years ago, but I also still see that there's the future final fulfillment of them. Prophecy's weird like that, man, to where I've heard it said with a lot of prophecy, it's kind of like you look at a mountain range and you can see the mountain peaks, but sometimes you can't tell how much time is in between them. Oh, yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. How much time is in between them? I just, <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> just I got between the, the peaks because yeah. the time. And yeah. The, yeah, I got what you meant. What I really did like was chapter three, the verse 14 through 20, which you said at the end was that uh, in this day of the Lord presentation is that, that he would dwell among his people, give them peace, prosperity, and an honored place. And that was uh, near and far. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what I thought was really cool. Uh, really... Uh, to sum up and just like kind of close this episode, to me, it seems like Zephaniah contains all these hidden treasures for the church, and that has been greatly overlooked by the church today. Uh, it contains the prophecies that came to him during this time of renewed devotion to God, which you could look at parallels for where we even think we're at today. Uh, the king purging Judah, the idols, the improper worship practices, but the people's hearts also needing correcting. Uh, really, Zephaniah's message is that anyone who combines worship of God with other gods who exercises deceit, violence, and complacency will be destroyed on the day of the Lord. However, people who are humble, righteous, will be gathered together in peace. 
when evil is all around us, how do we guard our hearts so that we can live holy? And that's Zephaniah's message, that uh, he assures us that in time, God will make things right. Um, and that's what I really liked, is looking at the history of him, was like this kid grew up during probably the worst times of Judah and still came out to be a man of God. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what time or what we think America is or whatever you're living at, time or age. We could always see it like, oh man, the world's never been worse. Openly uh, sacrificing your children to idols. Yeah, it was worse. And even when we talk about the Babylonians, that was worse. Yeah, The Assyrians were worse. Um, so the time never changes as far as how bad things are. Things are always somewhat bad. Uh, it's really how do we live through those times. And Zephaniah is a great, great little book to remind us that we can. Yeah, and and just looking at the day of the Lord language and looking at God's desire is that people would repent. And how you said that as Christians, you don't need to be scared. Mm-hmm. And the call for Zephaniah was for as many people as heard Zephaniah, for as many people heard Jeremiah and the other prophets and listened and turned to God, then they found their place in the remnant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even though everything else was going on in the nations and everything else was going on, God kept the remnant. Yeah. And that that's the hope and that's the call and that's the promise that's within all of that with the day of the Lord. Just, hey, we can look at all these things. And I know we're probably going to get break into more of a lot of the verses and the explanations and stuff mm-hmm. and pull out the lessons on the next time. It's like, yeah, some of that stuff is really harsh and it can seem really scary. Yeah, it's a warning, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And just like Josiah was like, oh, no wonder. Like, I'm looking at the word of God and I'm seeing what's happening in the world and we need to get back to God. Like, that's just kind of what I see all of this Day of the Lord stuff is for us to look at it and go, oh, if I'm seeing anything that looks like that in my world today, then I need to get back to God. Yeah. And trust that I can be part of that remnant. Yeah. yeah. And you see it throughout all of it. Like, the remnant that was uh, taken to Babylon came back home. And if not them, their children came back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while they were in Babylon, they were hidden and protected and taken care of. Zephaniah's name hidden, taken care of, protected. Uh, it's just cool. I, I love that that's something that we've caught, with, especially with these Old Testament prophets, that somehow their name correlates with their message or it has something to do with what they're saying. Uh, that, that, to me, during this whole thing has been the coolest part to me. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I won't claim anything else, but I'm pretty sure I started the baby name game for the yeah, prophets. <laughs> I think you did too. So, uh, All right, with that, I am Chris. I'm Yurla. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, church friends, we would like to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show. We really do appreciate every single one of you. And really, if you have any questions, if you need prayer, if you just want to share your thoughts or what your favorite topic was that we've covered, please, please feel free to email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Chris will read that email and let me know what it says. (laughs) Also, if you enjoyed the show, please do the following to help us out. Follow or subscribe to whichever podcasting platform you listen to, and then share it with your family, your friends, and the people who attend your church. And really, all this stuff is run by algorithms, so you doing those simple things really helps get the podcast into more ears. And remember, Your Church Friends Podcast is here to be a resource to you to help you understand God's Word in a more clear and personal way. All so that we can grow closer in our relationship with God. Don't forget to check out our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It currently takes you to all of our social media accounts and places where you can listen to each and every episode. 
The website is yourchurchfriends.rocks because, wait, what was it again? Oh, that was a long time ago. Oh, that's right, because we rocks. Amen.